All right, well, with that, we're going to wrap up our uh, series this week on the Calvary Chapel Distinctives. This is part four. I thought that it would be a two-part series and uh, figured out after day one it wasn't going to go down that way. And so as I have said each week, it's been a real blessing to my heart. Um, I'm excited to share these last few distinctives with you today. We're going to be uh, sharing in communion after this message, so it's going to be a little more on the condensed side, I hope. That's my objective. Let me get my watch out here. I have a stopwatch. I've found that it doesn't help me much. And so I need to treat this thing like it's the law. You know, we're all about grace here, but it's the law when it comes to this, you know. So anyways, all right. Well, let's pray for the message. Father, we've already come to you in prayer and and we trust and believe by faith that, that you will uh, answer those things according to your will. But even now, Lord, we, we recognize that we need you as we come before these various scriptures that we're going to look at, as we consider uh, what you have done in our church over the years and how you have uniquely used Calvary Chapel and, and uh, who we are and what we're about and why we're about these things. Father, as we wrap up this series today, I pray that you would minister to us, God. As I share these various Scriptures, I pray that it would impact us, Lord, that we would be encouraged, that we would be reminded afresh of what we believe and why we believe it, that we would be challenged, that we would be convicted, and above all, Father, You would receive glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Well, I'm just going to read through the list here, and uh, there's 17 of them, and starting out with the centrality of Christ, Jesus' people. And then grace, love, the Scriptures, doctrine, the Holy Spirit, the rapture, balance, atmosphere, worship, giving, children, membership, and now today we're going to be looking at our approach to ministry, church government, servant leadership, and faith, living a life of faith, venturing out in faith. So those are the things that we'll be considering today. And first up, we're going to talk about ministry, our approach to ministry, how we view ministry. So I'd like to read these verses here to you from Ephesians chapter 4. You guys hear me quote this frequently, so this shouldn't be brand new to you, but nonetheless, let's just uh, look at it there in your notes. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. It moves on a few verses. It picks up in 16. Speaking of Christ, it says, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself and love. So we believe that ministry is not solely the work of the pastoral staff. It's not just my job to do the work of the ministry or Pastor Vince or Pastor Gordon or Pastor Bill or even those who are uh, volunteering in ministry or leading various ministries. It's a team effort. We are all in this together. And that's what the Scriptures clearly teach. Now, pastors have a unique role. Our job is to kind of cast vision, to set things in order, to train people, to equip people so that they can uh, minister to the best of their ability. But at the end of the day, I'm here to equip and to train. 
I am not here to do all of the ministry. We believe that we do this all together. And as these scriptures teach that when the whole body is doing its part, every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, it causes growth of the body. There's edifying, that is building up. There's edification in love. And this makes sense, does it not? If, if, just, just imagine for a minute if I really did try to take everything upon myself, you guys uh, would be hindered in the worst way. Because I mean, the more time goes on, the more I realize there is only so much that I can do. And, uh, and it's only a small fraction of what really needs to be done. And so you guys are going to suffer as a result of that if I sought to really uh, just take everything upon myself, micromanage every little thing, not delegate anything out, not really let anybody step into their own and, and serve the Lord. So it makes sense that this is a team effort and we're all in this together for the health of the body, for the sake of the body. And because each and every one of you, if you're a believer in Christ, you have something to offer. And so if someone comes in and they're trying to do the work of ten people, then they're robbing other people of their opportunity to serve the Lord and to walk in the blessing, to walk in the fullness of what God has called them to. And so as I said before, it's not just me, it's not just the pastoral staff. We believe that ministry is a team effort. And if you just look around, you'll see that. There is a lot of ministry happening amongst many of the people here particularly on Sunday morning, but even outside of these walls, different times throughout the week, different people are doing different things for the glory of God and for the health of the body. It's a beautiful thing to see happening, and that's what we believe it ought to be, how it ought to be. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about how we raise up leaders, how Calvary Chapel in particular views this. And uh, I'll talk especially about pastoral uh, leadership, but uh, we believe that God calls people to serve Him in a, in a unique way, and you just see it happening. You'll see somebody that has uh, a real passion for the Lord. They have the giftings. They're eager. You don't have to beg them. You don't have to plead with them. They're just in there doing it, and people are responding to it. And you can see that there's fruit. You can see that uh, that the Lord is using them in a very unique way, and then we'll come alongside them and say, we see God's hand is on you. We see that you have these giftings. We see that people are responding to you in this way. We would like to, to raise you up. We would like to train you. We'd like to invest in you. And in God's timing, we'll lay our hands on an individual and say, this person is a pastor. We're not making them a pastor. It's very obvious that they are, and that God is doing this thing, and we're just coming alongside and acknowledging what God is already doing. And we believe that this is most consistent with the New Testament model, the Paul-Timothy model. So we believe that ministry, training, promotion of ministry should happen predominantly within the body of Christ. Now, we're not against Bible college. We have many Calvary Chapel Bible colleges. We're not against seminary. Uh, you, you guys have heard me make note of this a number of times. Uh, I have been taking some classes in seminary for for a little bit of time now, and it's been very, very good for me. It's been very helpful. But what it's really helped me to realize is how much of this stuff I already know. I've, I've been in it for, for 13, 14 years, studying intensely, learning, being in the game, serving. And uh, it's amazing to me how much of what I'm hearing, these are things that I've already learned, things I've already taught years ago. And there are certain things that I can get from seminary that I'm just probably not going to be able to get on my own, learning Greek and, and things like that. You understand. So I, I would say that a, a formal education is, is a wonderful gift. It's uh, supplemental. 
but it's not the main thing. And what makes a person credible, what uh, makes a person legitimate, is if God has called them. If there is a calling on their life and they are qualified, they love the Lord, they love His people, they love His Word, and they love sound doctrine, and they are serving the people, uh, that's what we look for. And so that's just a little bit about our view on ministry. It's a team effort. Our view on raising people up into ministry. Uh, So much more that could be said about that, but just in a nutshell, that's our view. We don't want ministry to be something that is burdensome. We don't want ministry to be something that we have to pressure you into. We have a we, by and large, try to have a light-hearted approach to ministry. Serving the Lord is fun. It's an enjoyable thing. And uh, that's one of the prayers I'll often pray for people when they are serving here, that they would enjoy using their gifts for God. There is joy in serving the Lord. Amen? And so we try to have, you know, this was a point I was going to make a little later, but I think it's fitting here. We have a lighthearted approach to, uh, to ministry in general. You know, we don't want to beg and plead for people to fill a void. I have been guilty of that in the past, and I come to a place where I realize we're just not going to do that. I want to let needs be known, and we want people to want to serve the Lord, but we don't want people to do it with the wrong heart. We don't want people to be guilted into it or pressured into it, because then they're not serving Joyfully, They're not doing ministry in, uh, with the right heart, the right attitude. And that has a negative effect on them and the body. And so I heard uh, Pastor Sandy Adams use this very simple illustration. If we have two children's classes and one teacher, uh, we'll combine the two classes before we start begging and pleading. And we'll pray that the Lord will bring the person along that He would have to uh, to to minister to that end. And that's really the approach that we try to take with ministry. All right, moving on. Church government. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. And then Ephesians 20, verse 17 and 28 here, it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. These are key verses, and I'm going to talk about this, but in both of these verses that I read, we'll find three different titles that are used interchangeably of one person, the pastor. And there are three Greek words here in your notes, presbuteros, episkopos, and poimen. And so basically that is the words from which we get elder, overseer, and shepherd. All three of these words are used interchangeably for one office, that of the pastor, and they really kind of describe a different angle or a different... um, side of what the pastor does. And you'll notice that in both of these verses that I have here on your notes, all three of those words are used in both. And so the elder is kind of the seasoned, godly individual, the one who God has called. People know it. Uh, in him is, is the wisdom of God, godly character. And it's just very obvious that this individual has been called of God and gifted of God, and he is the, the leader of the church. And oftentimes uh, we see a plurality of that. We'll talk about that in a second. A plurality of elders. 
The next word is episkopos. This is the word overseer. This speaks more of the, the managerial aspect of it. He's, he's a manager. He's a leader. He's overseeing the operations. He's setting the vision. He's making sure that everything has, is working as it ought to be. And then poimain is shepherd. Okay, This is the, the shepherd. He feeds. He protects. He kind of rules the flock, if you will. And that, you may have heard of the ministry, the poimain ministry. That's where that comes from. And it, it means shepherd. So if you'll, you'll notice in those verses that I gave you that all three of these words are found in both of those. And this is basically uh, a, a pastor. He has, he has all, of, all of this. And uh, there's not a real clear-cut guideline in the New Testament for how church government ought to function. And so I know you guys are probably no stranger to the fact that many different churches function differently. You look around, you see a lot of churches do it in different ways. And so what we're talking about here is how each church governs itself. How is it governed? How is the leadership set up? What is the structure? What is the relationship between the leaders and the congregation? And so I want to talk about here in your notes, I would say there are three major styles of leadership that we see in the church today. There is the pastoral-led church, the pastor-led church. Then there are the plurality of elders. And then there is the congregationally-led church. And we'll talk about that for just a moment. So the pastor-led church, you have the one pastor who's, who's pretty much the authority of the church. He calls the shots. Oftentimes he'll have assistants and, and other elders who come alongside to help uh, carry the, the load of pastoral ministry and... Uh, as I said, the pastor is kind of the, the main authority. Then you have a plurality of elders. Churches where there's an elder board and everybody has equal authority. And, and elder, again, is used synonymously as a pastor. So when I say an elder, I'm basically speaking of a pastor. And so you have a, an elder board. And all these different elders, they serve in different capacities. So you have the teaching elder. Right? He's the guy that gets up in the pulpit each week. You might have a counseling elder, an administrative elder, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and that's how it functions, and they vote on everything, all the business of the church. And sometimes it might be um, a percentage, you know, a 60-40 kind of thing with voting, and sometimes it's set up to where it has to be unanimous. Nobody moves forward unless the whole board votes unanimously on a decision. And then you have congregational churches where really the congregation votes on everything. So you guys decide. You decide if we're going to do this, if we're going to do that, are we going to hire this pastor? How much are we going to pay this pastor? Are we going to fire this pastor? And on and on it goes. Decorating the church, you name it, every little thing. The members have a say in that. They vote on it. You have to be a member of the church and there's typically um, membership uh, voting meetings, business meetings that happen my opinion, that is the most unscriptural way of going about it. That is the sheep leading the church. And that, uh, I don't see anywhere in the Scriptures where it would <clears throat> indicate that, but that's, that's pretty common, and it does work. There are churches that function that way, and they do well, but I don't see that in the Scriptures. So, who are we? What are we? We are a pastor-led church. We're a pastor-led church. We believe God calls a man. God gives that man the vision. And he goes for it. And he has leaders, pastors who come alongside him and help assist in that. And hopefully the congregation believes in the pastor. They believe in him. They love him. They trust him. They're on board with the vision. 
And so that's what we are. This has sometimes been referred to as the Moses model. And that has been a controversial topic at times. If you look into it, you may see that. Some people don't like that because it gives the pastor absolute authority. And we know that that can go bad sometimes. And so I think there's, there is good in it. But we here, Cornerstone traditionally, now Calvary Chapel, Napa, that on paper is what we are. We're a Moses model. We are a pastor-led church. But we have always functioned on a board level. We've never made any moves unless the board was unanimously in favor of it. So we have a group of men that we believe God has called to, to help come alongside the pastor and lead this church. And uh, we'll be putting those faces before you more in, in time to come. Um, I won't go into that much today, but uh, that, that is how we function. So the board believes and trusts that God has called me and that uh, he will give me a vision. And uh, especially when it comes to financial things, the, the board absolutely have to have the board's uh, approval on this. We vote. It has to be unanimous. We just want to be above uh, board on all these things. We want to be transparent. We want to play it safe. And I believe that there is wisdom in a, in a multitude of counsel. And we believe that if God is in something, he's going to lead us in unity. Right? And so technically, we are a Moses model, pastor-led church, uh, but we we have chosen to function almost in an elder-led sense. And different Calvaries, uh, they may do it a little differently from church to church in that regard. But I will say this, even Moses in the Old Testament, the Moses model, he had 70 elders that uh, I think it talks about that in Exodus 18. His father-in-law said, you can't do this all by yourself. This is crazy. You need to raise up able men who can help lead the congregation with you. And he has 70 elders. So even in the Moses model, there are elders who help do the work of the ministry. So, all right, moving on. Uh, Let me just say this. Uh, The reason why we kind of took this shape is Pastor Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, he came up in denominationalism and he had a real hard time with it. Uh, he was really stuck in rigid structure. There, the Lord was wanting to do new and fresh things, and he could not. He got blocked on every end. On some things that we would consider to be so it was obvious thing. yes, we should do that. He would do it, and then after church, the board would surround him and tell him, you're going to be fired if you do that again. And it just really had him bound up. And so he sought to get out of denominationalism and be... Um, be the leader. And that is why he had the ability to tell the board, you know what, when they put up the sign about uh, no bare feet in the congregation and the, because of the new carpet, the hippies, he said, I'll tell you what, we'll tear this carpet out of the building before we, uh, before we tell, turn people away. He had the authority to do that. That was why Pastor Chuck went uh, in a pastor-led way in a, uh, what we call the Moses model. So I've seen good come from that. All right. Third, we, are, uh, we believe in servant leadership. Servant leadership. John 13, 13 through 16 there. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. So Jesus said, Look, I have washed your feet. I have served you. A servant is not greater than his master. If I, your Lord, am willing to serve you, how much more should you serve each other? 
1 Corinthians 4 here, Paul speaking, he says, Let a man consider us servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So Paul said, I'm a steward. That means I am in charge of something that is not my own. It's been entrusted to me. And so God gave something to Paul and it was Paul's job to guard it, the gospel message, guard it, protect it, to share it, to give it out. He was put in charge of that. He was in charge of something that was not his own. So we pastors, we are stewards of the gospel. And he said, let a man consider us as servants. And this word for servant is kind of the lowest word that you could find for servant. It speaks of a person that's chained to the bottom of a ship and they're rowing. They're the under rower, like in that movie, Ben-Hur. And Paul said, I'm a steward. I'm nothing. Well, all that I have, it comes from God. It's been entrusted to me and I'll give it all back to him in the end. It was never mine. I've been entrusted to to protect it, to care for it, to share it, and I'm just a servant. In fact, I'm the lowest of the servants. I'm an under rower. That was Paul's attitude. And then in 1 Peter 5, 2-3, Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but be an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So we've been commissioned to shepherd God's people, but not to lord it over them. I'm not your Lord, right? Jesus is the Lord. And I want to be an example to the flock. And uh, Jesus is the chief shepherd. And when He appears, I'll receive a reward from Him for my service to Him. But you guys belong to Him ultimately. You don't belong to me. Uh, I'm an under-shepherd of Christ. So as I said, this is not my church. I'm not the Lord. Jesus is the, the shepherd. And He desires that I shepherd you guys in a certain way. Jeremiah 3.15. I don't have the, the verse itself, just the reference in your notes. But He, speaking through Jeremiah, says, I'm going to give you shepherds who will shepherd you according to My heart. And so that's, that's my job. I'm to feed and to tend and to care for you guys how the Lord would have me to do that because you're His. You're His sheep. Amen? And so I'm not, your, I'm not the Lord. I'm not the master of this church. I'm not the head of this church. I'm just a steward. Everything that I have has been given to me by God. It is His. And I will have to give an account one day for how I have taken care of what He has placed in my charge. So when we talk about being a shepherd, we use that language a lot. I don't know how many of you know what exactly we mean by that, but there's a wonderful book that you could read. I would encourage you to read it. It's called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. And a guy who had been a shepherd, uh, that was his job, his life, career, he really gives a lot of uh, cool insight into what it means biblically to be a shepherd. I would encourage you to read that. So let me just say this. As a shepherd, someone who leads the sheep, they lead from the front. The shepherd leads and the sheep follow. And Jesus talks about this. My sheep, they hear me. They know my voice. I'm not a cattle herder. Okay, I'm not a cattle driver. I don't get behind you guys and push you. I don't have a cattle prod and I'm prodding you. You understand? I would hope that you guys would lead me as I am being led by the Lord. And that's the idea. We lead from the front. I'm to be an example. I'm to influence you guys for good. I am to be a, an influence in that sense. And a, a, a vision caster. As the Lord gives me 
a vision for what, where we're going. Uh, and as I'm moving in that direction, I would hope that you guys would see that, believe in that, and follow me in that sense. We're not to beg the flock. We're not to plead with the flock. I've already talked about that earlier in our approach to ministry, so I won't go into that. We're not to fleece the flock. It's not about what I can get from you. You understand? And there are a lot of pastors out there who are doing just that. It's not about what I can get. I'm here to serve you. Our pastors are here to serve you. Our leaders, our volunteers are here to serve you. That's what it's all about. We're here to minister to you, to care for you. It's not about getting what I can get. And so we talk about um, the, the shepherd feeds the sheep. He leads them to, to good ground where they can graze. And that's my job is to, to lead you to the truth, to give you that that you can feast upon, that which will feed your souls. The shepherd will clean the sheep when they are dirty. At times it's his job to get in there and to wash the sheep. And sometimes sheep can be messy. You guys know, and I've been there myself, we create a mess and we need some help. And we we hope to be able to come alongside you and to to be uh, someone who's from the outside looking in and, and someone who has a, a different, fresh perspective. And, and with the Scriptures, we can help clean up the mess that perhaps you have made. So we, we hope to, to feed and to protect. Because, guys, we have an enemy, and there are people out there who want to destroy you as they are inspired by the enemy. And they would, they would try to lead you away with false teaching, false doctrine. And so often the enemy comes... He's not going to come to you with a pitchfork and a pointy tail. What you're going to hear is going to sound really good. It's going to be something that you want. I like the way that sounds. I want to experience that. And there's just little bite-sized uh, pieces of poison in, mixed in it. You know? And it's my job to call it for what it is and to try to lead you guys and, uh, and present solid doctrine and, and see you guys grow and be strong in the truth and to warn you it's been said, and you've heard me say this before, if, if all a shepherd does is feed the sheep and not warn them, he's just fattening them up for the kill. You know? And so it's my job to warn as a shepherd. So that's what we're here for. I'm not a professional. There's a book by John Piper. It's Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. That's a great title, even if you don't read the book. You understand? We are not professional. This is a holy calling. It is a spirit-filled calling on our life. I'm not a professional. I... I mean, obviously, I'm not a celebrity, right? We know that. But there are a lot of pastors who fall into that, okay? We're not celebrities. We're not professionals. We're not celebrities. And we're certainly not to be scholars of cultural relevance. You like that? I came up with that. Scholars of cultural relevance. At least I think I did. And there are people, they are just on the cutting edge. If, it, if it's hot, if it's new, they know all about it. They are leading the way. I don't know. I don't want to know. As soon as you know, it changes. Okay, there's one thing that doesn't change that I need to know, and it's this. I want to be a scholar of this, not cultural relevance. I want to be a scholar of an unchanging God with unchanging truth. And we're stewards, as I said. Stewards and servants of what the Lord has entrusted to us. And then lastly, faith. We want to be faith people. Hebrews 11.6 But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. 2 Corinthians 5.7 We walk by faith, not by sight. There are a lot of people out there 
who really twist and distort the idea of faith. They have perverted it. Particularly the Word of Faith movement. Anybody that, that would, uh, would tell you or claim to be Word of Faith, um, they're aberrant in the worst way. And uh, their doctrine is, is bad. And so it's all about faith. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to always be healthy. God wants to give you all the, the great things in life. It's all about looking younger, feeling better, being successful, having more money. Uh, that, that is what it has all been made into. And all of that stems from your faith because you have the ability to speak these things into existence. You have that kind of power. They bring Christ down, they bring us up, and they put us on the level of Jesus in that way. And I'll just give you an example of it. One pastor... We know the story. Uh, John the Baptist, his father, Zechariah, you remember when the angel Gabriel came to him to tell him about the, the birth that was going to happen from his wife Elizabeth? He had a hard time believing it. He couldn't believe that this would be. And so what did the angel do to him? Struck him mute. You know why? Because God knew that his words had such power he could have foiled God's whole redemptive plan. <laughs> So he had to strike him mute so that he didn't thwart it. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. It's ridiculous, okay? And so because of that, we might be tempted to run in the other direction and never talk about faith. And never, we want to be faith people. First, faith in the Lord Jesus. We believe on Him. We believe on His name. But also, we want to step out in faith. The Christian life is, is a, one of adventure so often. You never know what the Lord is going to do. That's just it. Most of the time, we don't know. You know, it's like He gives us just enough light to know what's ahead of us, just a few steps, but we really don't know what's around the corner. It's an exciting way to live. And we want to be habitual faith steppers. We want to always be taking steps of faith. So I'll just say, that's been the story of the Calvary Chapel movement. From the very beginning, we have been a movement that wanted to venture out in faith. And as God continued to bless uh, Costa Mesa, they continued to step out and to press the envelope and young men went out and they would venture out on their own in faith and God blessed that and really that's how Pastor Bill ended up here from Costa Mesa and God has blessed what he did so Pastor Bill was an example of that leaving SoCal and coming up here and not really knowing how that was going to work out but God blessed it and what was a church of 25 people in 1965 now there's 1800 Calvary chapels with 400 more in the affiliation process we have a multitude of radio stations and Bible colleges and missionaries. God has done an incredible work. People who have stepped out in faith. So we want to be a church that does that. We want to be a church on the move. We believe God wants to do some pretty cool things in our midst and we want to step out. We don't want to just get bogged down in the norm and be afraid to really step out. We want to step out and give the Lord a chance to move, you know. Um, step out and see what happens. And we want to be a congregation that is made up of people who do that in their own lives. So I want to encourage you guys. This is just a word of exhortation here. I was talking to a brother, I don't know, several months ago, a different church, and he was really agonizing over this one particular issue. And he was asking me to pray that the Lord would give him great clarity in this way so that he could aim at the target and hit it with all his might because he had total confidence and clarity. That was his desire. And that makes perfect sense to me. But I told him, I, you know, I think that the Lord really wants us to, to walk in faith. 
And we spend so much time agonizing over this major thing that's right in front of us when the reality is as soon as we walk through that, there's going to be another one and another one and another one and another one by God's grace until the day that we go and be with Him. It's going to be one face step after the next, after the next, after the next. So get used to it. Don't agonize too much over whatever this thing is in front of you because you're going to take another faith step right after that. We want to be habitual faith steppers. Amen? That has been the story of our movement. That has been the story of this church. I know that is the story of so many people in this congregation. And all the more so as we continue to go forward in Jesus' name. And that does that. So we're going to transition now. We're going to transition. That's sweet. I've been really blessed by kind of working through those Calvary distinctives. What makes us who we are and what we embrace, what we champion I'm so grateful for that. So now let's, let's really zero it in. Let's bring it all back. We're Jesus people. We started with Jesus and we're going to end it with Jesus. Right? And so we're going to talk about communion. And if you would, you can turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. We're going to work our way through 23 to 29 very quickly. Paul is speaking to the, the Christians there in Corinth, and he begins to give them instructions on the Lord's Supper because they had been abusing it. People were coming together, and so often they would have meals, what they called agape feast. They would come together, they would eat, they would have wine, and people were abusing it. They, it was not a sacred thing to them. It was not a hallowed thing. People were showing up early. They were drinking and getting drunk. They were eating all the food. Other people were showing up. There was nothing left. The Lord's Supper was being desecrated. And so Paul is addressing that. He's reminding them of what it's all about and how we ought to approach the Lord's table. And throughout church history, this was such a sacred thing. Two things the Lord has left His church. Believer's baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are, are two things that we celebrate, that we, we uh, remember the Lord by. And so I'll read here in verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That's important. He got this from Jesus. And now He's delivering it to them. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night that He was betrayed, the night before He was to be crucified, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it. And He said, Take, eat. This is My body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. So this would be a picture. This would be a symbol. Jesus says, Just as this bread is broken, so My body is going to be torn for you. Take, eat. Consume this. And when you do, remember Me. Remember My body that was broken for you. Verse 25, In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. So now Jesus takes the cup and He says this represents the new covenant. The old covenant, the Old Testament, blood was shed all the time for the sins of the people. It would cover their sins, but it would not wash it away. And so they had to constantly go back and have more and more sacrifices made on behalf of the people. 
And Jesus said, now this is my blood that is going to be shed. This is the new covenant. It is once and for all and forevermore. Your sins are washed away. And it is my blood that is going to wash away sin. So when you drink of the cup, do this in remembrance of me. Remember the fact that it was my body broken for you and my blood that was poured out that washed your sins away, that removed them as far as the east is from the west. Do this in remembrance of Jesus. And that's the gospel message, guys. We couldn't do it. No one is good enough to pay for our own sins. How can a sinful person uh, pay for their own sins? How can a sinful person be good enough to stand before a holy God? We cannot. And that's just it. But it's the works of another. Jesus the Christ. His body was broken. His blood was poured out. He paid the price. He paid for our sin debt. It was placed upon Him. Verse 26 here, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So the Lord gave us this so that every time we do it, we are reminded afresh of the Gospel message. We are reminded afresh. We proclaim the Lord's death. It's a visible reminder to us that Jesus' body was broken, that His blood was poured out, and that, uh, that we are children of God now. We've been ushered into the kingdom of God and we have the hope of eternal life all because of Him and all because what He did. It's all about the Gospel. And our lives reflect that. Every part of us should be impacted by the Gospel. And we're reminded of that afresh every time we approach the table every time we have the elements before us that representing the body of Christ and the blood of Christ every time we do this we proclaim his death until he returns now verse 27 it says therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood guilty of the body and the blood of the lord so we're to be uh, serious when we come to the lord's table don't do this casually don't do it half-heartedly Really think through, what does this mean? Where are you at as a believer? Remember, they were abusing this in Corinth. Paul said, don't, don't you ever do that. This is holy. This is sacred. It represents something beautiful. And it says, you'll be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ if you partake in an unworthy manner. And that just means to do it uh, just with, with recklessness. You're not really taking this seriously. You're not having an attitude of, of worship and reverence when you partake of a believer's communion and it says in verse 28 let a man examine himself and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup so this is a time a special time set aside for us to really meditate and reflect and consider where are we before the lord where are we have we grown cold have we grown distant is there sin in our lives? Is there something that we need to confess and forsake? Is there something that we need to get out of our lives? Where are you at? Do you even know the Lord? You need to examine yourself and consider that's a very real possibility. There are people who will say, Lord, Lord, in that day, and He'll say, depart from Me, I never knew you. Do you know Him? Have you ever truly been born again? Do you know the Lord? There I am certain are people in this room today who don't know Him. And I want to give you an opportunity right now. You can raise your hand if you want to know Christ. If you want to believe on His name and, and, and put your faith and your trust 
and the finished work of the cross. And I'd love to talk with you after the service more about this. But here and now, I want to give you an opportunity. If that is you, I just want you to raise your hand. Well, this is a time of celebration too. It's a time of worship as we reflect on what God has done for us and that we are children of the Most High God. Behold what manner of love the God, uh, God has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Amen? And so this is a time of celebration too. So we're going to have the worship team come up. The ushers come forward. We're going to hand out the, the communion elements to you as the song plays. I want to encourage you uh, to really take some time. Pray on your own. Just meditate. Thank the Lord. Worship. Sing along with the song. Confess your sins. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that You demonstrated Your love by sending Your Son to die for us, especially while we were enemies, when we were dead and trespassed in our sins. Lord, You sent the Savior of the world. You so loved the world that You gave Your Son. That Whoever would put their faith and trust in Him, whoever would believe in Him would be saved, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And we thank You for that, Lord. And Jesus, we... Remember afresh, we thank You that, Lord, You went all the way to the end. Having loved Your own who were in the world, You loved them to the very end. You didn't stop short. You went all the way to the cross. And nothing was going to stop that. And we thank You for that, Lord. So thank You that Your body was broken for us. Thank You that Your blood was poured out. And thank You, Lord, that now we are free. We are born again, washed of the blood, born of the Spirit. And we remember afresh this day what You've done for us. We thank You for it. We praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord is good. Well, we'll just close out on that note right there. Bless you guys. Love you. The Lord loves you. And go forward in His name. Amen.